Yeah, I said this last time, if you've ever played golf with me, that didn't happen to me. I can promise you that right there. Hey, good morning. My name is Mark Hanley. Um, I'll do a little, I'll introduce myself a little bit more in just a few minutes, but first I'd like to welcome the Walton campus and the Oconee campus to the Spring Forward Sunday. And I was surprised, even we got a huge crowd here. This morning was a large crowd. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself so you can get to know me because we're going to talk about three people in the Old Testament and then I'm going to share a little bit about what's been going on in our household. So um, first up, I'm going to show you a picture of me and my wife, Kelly. Um, there we are. We look happy, don't we? Um, we've been married 30 years in May, so we're getting ready to celebrate our 30th anniversary in May. Um, um, and, and last time I started clapping because I got nervous and everybody else started clapping. So when I clap, don't clap, okay? I just, the last group didn't know that. So, uh, all right, so once again, uh, that's Kelly. We have four children, and there's a picture of our children up here on the screen, and you're going to notice that there's five people in the picture. So um, I'm going to start. Keelan's our oldest right there. We're going to talk a little bit about her later. She's in the black shirt. Kinsley's our four foot twelve redhead, not quite five feet yet. And then the big guy over on the right side is Caleb. He's the tall one, Caleb Joshua. And then you got Canaan dead in the middle. And Canaan got his name because after having two girls, Canaan is my promised land. So he literally, that's my son. And then, of course, the two spies that went in to Canaan and gave a positive report are Caleb Joshua. That's how he got his name. Now, who's the guy in the plaid shirt? That's a good question. That's Will. Will just recently asked my four foot twelve redhead to marry her, marry him, and they are getting married this summer. So we let Will in the picture. So uh, it's it's exciting time at our house. There's a there's a lot going on. But we got something really cool at our house. It's called a grandbaby. I don't know if any of y'all have one of those, but take a look at this. Um, you're talking about cute. That is, yeah. See, oh, I agree with you. Um, she lives with us, and she's a big part of our story a little bit later on in, in today's lesson. But she's as sweet as they come, and that is Kyler Rose right there, and she's my oldest daughter's baby. But we'll, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Jonathan gave me the choice of talking about what he talked about last week or talking about the widow's might. I chose the widow might because I didn't think I could pronounce eschatology, but I've learned how to pronounce it during the week. And so that's what Jonathan covered. And he talked to us about standing firm, which was great. People ask me, you know, what am I? And I tell them I'm a pre-tribber and um, not a post-tribber and I don't know all the millennials, but the reason I'm a pre-tribber is I don't want to go through tribulation. And people say, well, can you back that up scripturally? No, I just don't want to go through the tribulation. So, um, but I feel like Jonathan did a great job of teaching us how to stand firm. And so today we're going to, it's going to kind of build off of what Jonathan started last week. Um, I'm going to be reading from Luke and my whole lesson really it's from the Old Testament, but where I got started at was Luke 21, 1 through 4. And so I'm going to read that verse to you guys. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, the poor widow put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And in Mark, it says very similar, the exact same thing. It's in the 12th chapter of Mark. It says, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. 
I, I felt like right as I read that, I knew, I knew what God wanted me to talk about this morning. But there's so much we could have talk about, talked about. We could talk about how God sees us differently, which I think is important because he noticed the widow and realized she had given more than all the rest. So how God looks at each one of us differently. I could talk about how we're supposed to give sacrificially. I could talk about tithing. I thought a lay person talking about tithing instead of one of the pastors would probably be good. I decided, nah, we're not going to do that. Um, uh, but we do tithe at our house. I'm just not going to beat you guys up about tithing today. So, um, but I, and it's important, um, too. It's a great way to learn how to trust God. And I could talk about how God doesn't like show-offs because some of the people were coming into the temple, and they were being seen. Their whole goal was just to be seen by everybody else about how much they put in. But what the one word I really want to talk about, and it's actually two. I don't know why I keep calling it one. But it's trust. But it's trust God. And so when I read that verse, I just felt like that's what God wanted me to talk about today with us. So what's going on? I, I, you know, in the, back at this time, you had to physically take your offering to the temple. You couldn't give online. You couldn't watch um, the sermon online. You couldn't do any of that stuff back then. You had to physically go and take your offering to the temple. And Jesus was sitting there with the disciples watching what was going on, and he commented on the fact that the widow... She gave, what it's a mite, two mites, and it's the smallest denomination of a coin at that time. So the only thing she could have given less is give one mite, but she gave two mites. And Jesus made the comment to everybody, she gave all she had to live on. It seems odd to me that the smallest coins was the most that was given that day. So I, I thought about the widow for a second. And I thought about, okay, I know her husband had died, okay? It doesn't say she had kids. So she probably didn't have a means of income at that time because right back then the husband was the provider. So it doesn't say she has kids, so I'm assuming she didn't have any help there. She didn't have a husband, so she had no income. And she took the last of what she had and gave it to God. So one of the things that I felt like we should talk about is are we willing to give it all to God? And that's how I came up with the topic of trust God. This is what I wrote down. What do you need to trust God with that you're currently not trusting God with? We don't need to trust in other men or women or money or career, but what do you need to trust God with that you currently are not trusting God with? I thought about all kinds of different areas, whether it's your family, whether it's your kids, whether it's your husband, whether it's your wife, whether it's your career, whether it's finances, whatever you can think of, there's many, many different things that we have to deal with that we need to learn to trust God with. So as we go through, I'm going to ask you the same question. What do you need to trust God with that you are currently not trusting God with? I'm going to talk about three people in the Old Testament. I'm going to talk briefly about Noah, Abraham, a little bit longer about Joseph. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about what Kelly and I, Kelly's my wife, what we've had to trust God with. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that story for us. So we're going to start off with Noah. And um, most everybody knows about Noah and the ark and everything else. But what they don't know a lot of times is what God said about Noah in Genesis 6-9. And he says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and walked with God. And, and, and the other part of it is most of us don't realize what it was like in Noah's day. And the Bible describes it in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. So you got this one righteous guy with these unrighteous people in a community that's just gone crazy is the best way to describe it. And so what does God call Noah to do? 
He calls him to build an ark. And I'm thinking back then, did no one know what an ark was? Because God was real specific about what he wanted to do. He said 450 feet long, uh, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, put a roof on it. So I just always try to picture that conversation between God and Noah. You know, God says to Noah, Noah, build an ark. What's an ark? You know, I have no idea. And then the next question I'm sure Noah's asked is, why do I need to build an ark? It's going to rain. It hadn't rained at that point. So Noah's next question, well, what's rain? So you got this guy who's being asked to do something. He's never seen rain before. Um, I started thinking about the whole process of building an ark at that time. I mean, think about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. No circular saw, no chop saw, no cordless drills. No electricity. I don't even know what they did for nails. How do you get the tree? I mean, how do you get the lumber? No Home Depot, no Lowe's. Couldn't go to there to pick up any of that stuff. You just think about what he was asked to do. It's kind of crazy. Um, one of the verses that, uh, that describes Noah so well is Hebrew eleven seven. It says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. I tried to think about what it was like for Noah and his neighbors. I don't think he really got along with them that well because they said he was righteous. So when a lot of people I'm sure were jealous and might not have liked him that much, but can you imagine the conversations he had with those neighbors when they're walking by? What are you building? An ark. Same question. What's an ark? Okay. It goes over and over again. Why are you building an ark? It's going to rain. What's rain? I mean, just imagine. And, and God asked Noah in his 500th year to build the ark. And he didn't get into the boat until the 600th year. So I'm guessing it took about 100 years to build that boat. And I assume it would with the tools that he had to use. So when you think about Noah and you think about what he had to go to, this is my first point. Is sometimes we have to trust God when it just doesn't make sense. Sometimes God's going to ask us to do something that just doesn't make sense. And we have to learn to trust God with that. So my question to you is, what is your ark? What is it that God's asking you to do that just doesn't make a lot of sense? Second person I want to talk about was Abraham. And um, Abraham had a lot going on. If, if you're like me, you know, I used to teach over there in the small kids, and there was a song that said, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, many sons, many sons had five, Father Abraham. And if you read the Bible, you know that he's 90 years old without a son, and he's the father of many nations. And so when you start to think about that, so Sarah came up with a great idea. Sarah with his wife, and she decided we're going to help God out with that whole son thing. And so she takes her maidservant, Hagar, and gives her to Abraham. And this isn't part of the lesson, but guys, if your wife offers you a maidservant, say no. It didn't end well. Read Genesis 16. you learn all about how that did not go well for neither one of them. So that's, that's free. That's it's not even part of the lesson. So we go 10 years further, and Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's 90, and this is what God says to him. I will bless her. This is Genesis 17, 16, and 17. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. And so you stop there for a second. You think, oh, he's going to worship God. Well, that's not what happened. He fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? So 
the second point is sometimes we have to trust God with the impossible. So my question to you is, what is your Isaac right now? What is your Isaac was their, ended up being their son. What is your Isaac? What do you have to trust God with right now that seems impossible to you? So we had Noah. You know, what do you got to trust God that doesn't make sense? You got Abraham. What is the impossible that you need to trust God with? And the third person I wanted to talk about was Joseph. And, and to me, this is one of the most amazing stories in the Bible, period. Um, and if you haven't read Genesis 37 through 50, read it. It's a crazy, crazy story. But um, if you know anything about Joseph, his brothers did not like him at all, okay? And so I was trying to do some research and try to figure out why his brothers did not like him at all. And what I came back with, he did bring a bad report to his dad about his brothers, okay? I got my dad and my brother sitting in here. We've done that a lot, I promise you. So they're both over there. Yeah, Mark's done that. Um, so he's better, he, they brought a bad report about their brothers. That's one thing. Um, and then the other thing is he had that dream and he shared that. And he basically told everybody they're going to bow down to him. You should never do that with your brothers or your dad. Um, but realistically, he, those were visions from God, and he was doing what his dad said when his dad said, go check on your brothers. And he came back and told them they were goofing off. So um, what really was wrong with Joseph, what really Joseph did, and I'm going to try to say this right, Joseph was his, was his father's favorite wife's first son. Did y'all get that? His father's first favorite wife's first son. He was married to sisters. Think about that for a minute. You got a sister? Yeah, giddy up. Um, so, uh, all right, and this has nothing to do with the lesson, but I got to share this with you. So this is Genesis 29. This is 17. It said, this is a description of the girls. You got Leah and you got Rachel, okay? Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. So how would you like to be Leah going down in history as the weak-eyed sister? But that's what exactly um, what happened. So, but I had to bring that up. It has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to try to teach y'all. Okay. So we're going to go back to Joseph and his brothers. So basically his brothers see him coming from afar. They decided, let's kill him. Okay. So they talk a little bit longer. They said, hey, we're not going to kill him. We're just going to throw him in a well. All right. So Joseph comes up. They take his coat. He has this really cool coat from his dad. He's the only one in the family with the coat. So they take his coat off of him, throw him in the well. All right, so they're sitting there and they're thinking, what do we do with them? And, you know, one brother was trying to sneak around and get him out of the well. That didn't work out. So they ended up selling Joseph to the Ishmaelites. All right, so Joseph gets sold to the Ishmaelites. They take Joseph's really cool jacket that his dad gave him, dip it in blood, go back to his dad, hand him the jacket and say, Joseph, your son from your favorite wife is dead. And, Dad, this is for you. I've never done that before with one of my brothers. I never tried to kill my brothers, throw them in a well, or lied to you about them being dad. My dad's right over here. So it's kind of, I, I read that. I said, I'm not that bad of a son after all. So it worked out pretty good for me. All right. So, so a lot happens after that. The Ishmaelites take him, and they go to, um, to Potiphar's house, and they take and basically sell him to Potiphar. And so they, he ends up at Potiphar's house. He ends up doing a phenomenal job just working his way through Potiphar's organization and taking care of the home. Eventually, he's put in charge of the whole house. He's responsible for the whole house. And so, um, so what happens next is Potiphar's wife wanted a little more than some help around the house from Joseph, if you get what I mean right there. So at one point, she keeps asking him daily, 
to be with her. And he keeps saying, no, 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 no. So one day she, he comes up to her. She grabs his cloak. He takes off running, and she's sitting there holding his cloak. So she goes to Potiphar and says, look what your servant did. Look what he tried to do to me. So what's, what happens to Joseph? He ends up in jail. So you got Joseph who ends up in jail for not sleeping with his boss's wife. He ends up throwing in a well just because he's his father's favorite wife's first son. So a lot is going wrong for Joseph. Um, oh, I left out the verse that I thought was funny. You see stuff in the Bible. It's Genesis 39. This is talking about Joseph. This is how you know um, that Potiphar's wife, you were in trouble with Potiphar's wife. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Whenever they put something like that in the Bible, you know something's coming next. And that's what Potiphar's wife jumped in. So I just thought some of these things that you find in the Bible are really, really interesting. All right, so here he is. He's in jail. And the warden is slowly putting him in charge of different things, all right? So he is responsible. He ends up running the whole jail. So just like at Potiphar's house, he raised up because he did an incredible job. He goes to jail. I don't know how he kept his attitude right because he's continually to get beaten and put down for stuff he didn't do, all right? So he's in the jail, and um, two guys from um, Pharaoh's um, group, from Pharaoh, get thrown into jail, the cupbearer and the chief um, baker. And so they have this bad dream. And so somehow they heard that Joseph could interpret dreams. So they come to Joseph, can you interpret my dream? He says, no, but God can. So they both tell him his dreams. Good news for the cupbearer, you're going to be reinstored in three days. Congratulations. Bad news for the chief baker, they're going to cut your head off and put you on a pole. So that's, that's what happened. And then three days later, it's exactly what happened. But what was interesting about that is Joseph said, don't forget about me. So guess what happens? Cupbearer goes up, bingo. Cupbearer goes up, and he um, basically forgets totally about him. Valentine's goes by, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Joseph's still in jail. Bags packed, ready to go. Next year, all those holidays missed again. So what happens is Pharaoh has a bad dream, and the cupbearer all of a sudden remembers Joseph at this point. And he says, oh, my goodness, I should have told you about this. There's this guy in jail that I was with, you know, that can interpret dreams. So I'm going to stop the story there. That thing goes on. It has an incredible ending to that story. But my point to this is just like sometimes we must trust God when we think we've been forgiven. That's the third point. When we have, when have you felt like Joseph? When have you been treated unfairly? When have you been cheated? But what was interesting about that is if you read Genesis 50:20, and I got to give Jonathan credit for this. He told me to add this one. And this verse is really powerful. You intended, Genesis 50:20. you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the savings of many lives. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about when things aren't going your way, you're being mistreated, you're being put down, you're being thrown in jail, you're being sold, whatever it is, that God has a plan to use you in a great way? I never, um, I never pictured that, but that, what a great verse. There's so many other stories in the Bible that we could talk about with people trusting God. Elijah, pray, praying for rain. Moses, leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Joshua, leading the Israelites into the promised land. Nehemiah, rebuilding the walls. David and Goliath, Samuel's mom, Hannah, entrusting Eli with her son, Samuel. David's reign, there's just so many story after story in the Bible about people trusting God. Well, one of the things that, so the point of the message is really simple, which I am, is just trust God, and we should. 
But for some reason, I feel like we have a problem relating to a Noah who is the only one righteous building the ark. Abraham, father of many nations. Joseph saves Egypt and his family. His family ended up eating off of his food too. So he saves his family and Egypt. And sometimes it's hard for us to relate to that. So what we're going to do is, me and Kelly, we're going to share a little bit about something we've had to trust God with. And so um, you remember that really cute baby I had up in the beginning um, that we put that picture up? Let's see if she can make it. This is Kyler Rose. Can you say hey? Can you say hey to the people? Huh? Hey, people. That's good. All right. So, you know, this, this is a story about this baby. And if you've ever... Um, if you know who Paul Harvey is, he always said the rest of the story. You good, Kyler? You want to stay or you want to go? Huh? Oh, those are blocks. You're supposed to write someone's names down. But Jonathan's going to talk about that later. Okay? Okay. All right. We'll see. We'll see her later. I bring Kyler up here because I know I got your attention now. Okay? And, and this is kind of the point of the story. Um, you know, it's one thing to read about, you know, these three guys um, trusting God. But we've had to trust God uh, with that little baby, and I'll, and I'll share that story with you. It's the Paul Harvey. I call it the rest of the story is what I call it. And so um, uh, this story starts really in about 2017, and um, Keelan had just graduated from college. Keelan went to Georgia Southern. She was down in Savannah um, working or trying to work at that time, trying to get her career started. Um, and Kelly and I knew something was wrong. I mean, you know, Kelly probably knew what was wrong, but I, I didn't. But Kelly kind of knew it was wrong. But what Kelly we were dealing with, so we were dealing with that in 17. Kelly's dad passed away in November of 2017. And Kelly had just finished three years of taking care of her dad. She'd go over almost every night to help her stepmom put her dad to bed. And she, we'd just finished that stage of our life. But we knew there was something wrong with Keelan, but we didn't know what it was. So that was November of 17. So we go to 18 of May in Canaan. My oldest son is graduating from high school. And so we're all going to come back, and we're all going to see Canaan graduate. And Keelan was going to come home about two or three days early. Oh, before I go any further, I have, Keelan was in the first service, and, and she gave me permission to share this story. Um, so as I share this story, don't think, oh, gosh, I can't believe he's saying about his daughter. She, um, she, you know, I told her, I said, I feel like this story puts a lot of pressure on you. And she said, it's okay, Dad. So she, she was sitting over here um, in the first service, and she gave me permission to share this story. So I want to make sure you guys know that. So, um, so Kanan's graduating from um, um, high school in May of 18. And um, Keelan's coming. She misses a day, misses another day. And then finally she's calling me, and she's on the side of the road crying. And I just told her, turn around and go to Savannah. And don't, don't worry about your brother's graduation. So we really knew we had a problem, but we didn't have the problem. Was Kelly thought it was alcohol-related. Um, I, I didn't know what it was. Um, so Keelan comes home in July, and she's spending some time with us. And while she's home in July, she says, I want to move back home. And so Kelly, at this point, really knew what the problem was. I was starting to believe that we had a problem with alcohol. And Kelly felt like there was even a lot more to it than that. So... Me and Kelly talked, and we decided, Keelan, yes, you can stay home, but one of our requirements is that uh, you go to rehab. And so she moved home in July. We put her in rehab at the very end of July, right at the beginning of August. I don't know if you've ever been to rehab. I'm not proud of it, but I know how it works. You spend 30 days at a facility where they're basically drying you out. So we called the facility, and I was talking to the facility, and they asked me, you know, what is her problem? And I said, alcohol is one of them. And then they said, well, does she do drugs? Yes. And when we started naming the drugs, I had to leave the room 
It was bad. I'm going to tell you, we were, we were involved. In, we were way over our head. I can still remember being on 285 and calling my dad and saying, Pop, I just put Keelan in rehab. I won't tell you what dad said, but I know exactly what he said at that time. And so, so we put her in rehab, and um, she's, um, she's out of that for 30 days. And when you, when you speak like this, you leave out a lot of details. And I, I forgot. There's a reason I'm leaving out the details. I forgot to tell you guys that um, we had a Keelan go to, even before that, when Kaylin graduated, she um, wanted to come home again. And it was, this was before everything else, but she'd come visit, and it was just a nightmare at our house. It, it, we were not getting along. It, the, we were like walking on eggshells between each other. And so there was a lot of that that had built up that we had seen, and we had some issues, and we knew. And that's why Kelly was so convinced of the alcohol. So we've put her in rehab. And I don't know if you know this, but after you put her in rehab, um, you, you either come home to your parents or you go to sober living. And, and we weren't ready. We, we, we weren't ready to deal with it. So Keelan moved into sober living. And if you don't know what that is, they put three, four girls together in the same apartment, and they go to meetings together. They start doing a bunch of stuff together, develop a relationship, which is a straight relationship away from drugs and alcohol. And, and then they try to work themselves back in to the workforce. Um, so Keelan's in the middle of so, sober living, living, and this has got to be, uh, I don't know, I think it's around November, I get a call from the director of the Sober Living Group, and she said, uh, Mr. Hanley, um, Keelan is difficult to deal with, and I said, I know, that's why you have her, and I don't. Um, no, I didn't say um, But that's what I was thinking, I promise you. So, um, so she tells me, and she goes, and, and we talked for a long time, and so I said, okay, I'll talk to Keelan. So I talked to Keelan, then I got a call from the director two weeks later, saying she can't stay any longer. So my precious angel, Keelan, got kicked out of sober living, not for doing drugs or alcohol, but because of her attitude. So guess where she ends up? My house. So this is around November of 2019. And um, so she's at our house, and it's just, it's not good. That's the best way I can describe to you. If you're a parent, you can understand when I say it's just not good. We're not getting along great. We're not communicating great. And like I said earlier, it's eggshells all over again. Everybody's walking on them. So... January of 19 comes, and Keelan wants to sit down and talk with Kelly and I. And so, for some reason, we always do the talks in our bedroom. So she comes upstairs to our bedroom. We shut the door. We're going to have our talk. I'm assuming that she's getting ready to tell us how great of parents we are and how supportive we are and what we've done, putting her in a rehab, sober living, and bringing her back home, how supportive she is, all this kind of stuff. So you can imagine my surprise when my daughter told me she was pregnant. So you just saw up here, Kyler Rose is, is the beautiful result of that. But I, I can't even tell you what I said at that time, and, and I, I'll tell you what I told the first service. It wasn't my best Christian moment by any minutes. I mean, it was just, it was very difficult because you're thinking, well, first of all, how did it happen? And I, I know how it happened. You saw all the kids. But, I mean, <laughs> you're living with a bunch of girls, and so not only was she difficult to deal with, she was breaking the rules, and she saw a guy, which was a no-no, Okay. So I'm not going to tell you anything about the man, I mean the person who got her pregnant. It's, it doesn't need to be part of the story, but um, she is. And I basically, Kelly and I talked, and what we decided is if she was willing to come live with us and break off all ties to the person who got her pregnant, that she could stay with us. And we praise the Lord, she made that decision. If she wasn't willing to do that, we were going to tell her to go to Savannah and live with him. 
Not an easy decision, not an easy discussion to have. So, so basically, Keelan decides that she's going to stay with us. And you guys got the privilege of seeing the result of what's happened. So we have this beautiful baby girl. She lives in our basement. It's just awesome. But it, what's even more amazing is what God's doing to try to help Keelan um, never go back to where she came from. Um, there's a girl at our church. Her name is Rachel Wilson. She's a friend of Kelly's, and she's in charge of our small groups. You guys heard of small groups? If you're at Greystone, you've heard of small groups. Well, she does a small group for single moms, okay? So Rachel knows Kelly, comes up to Kelly and says, can I invite Keelan to our small group? Sure, good luck. She's not going to come, but good luck. Because, I mean, going through all that, you're not that close to God and the Bible and church, I promise you. And, um, and so Rachel, not once, not twice, not three times, but three times, and Keelan said she was sweet as she could be, asked if she would join her Bible study. So Keelan is now active in Rachel's Bible study. And what's amazing about that is Keelan's read a book with the girls in that Bible study, and people said, what's the big deal? I don't, Keelan did what I did. We got, both got through college without ever reading a book. Don't ask how I did it. You don't want to know. But I never read a book while I was in college. She didn't either. And, and now she's involved with a group of ladies that have her reading and have her developing a relationship with God, which she never had. So are we out of the woods yet? Nope. Um, is our relationship with Keelan perfect? Nope. Was Keelan here at the 9 o'clock service allowing me to tell the story? Yep. Um, is both Kelly and Mark trusting God will continue to keep Keelan away from drugs and alcohol? We are. Are we concerned about Kyler and her future? We are. But this is what I wrote down. The way I worded it is so, to me, it's so important. However, we get, and the key word there is get, we get to trust God with Keelan and Kyler's future. We don't have to. We get to. It's a privilege, all right? And I would tell you that as hard as this has been, without being able to trust God, I don't know how we would have gotten through it. And I also hate to be flippant when I said trusting God is enough, but in this case, it made a huge difference for Kelly and I. So my question to you is, what is your ark? What does it make sense that God's asking you to do? What is your Isaac? What is your impossible? What is it that you just don't know how to deal with it? Kind of like, a little bit like Kelly and I were. What is your Joseph moment? You've been treated unfairly. You don't understand why you're being treated unfairly. You need to trust God. What is your Keelan and Kyler moment? What is your unknown future? That's the last point. What is your unknown future? Trust God. The widow had two mites and put in all she had to live on. What is your two mites? What do you need to put in, all in, God's hands? So if you have the um, See Your Victory tab, if you've been filling out the notes, if not, down at the bottom it says, exercise with a blank. And I, I kind of want to ask you a question. I guess it's kind of um, uh, the application for me on this. is, And you can't answer this with God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. Okay, so those three can't be your answer. All right? But my question to you is, who do you trust? Who do you trust? 
Think of a name. Write it down if you want to or else. Just think of a name. Who is it you trust? Husband, wife, mom, dad, teacher, whatever it is. Who do you trust? Then my next question is, why do you trust that person? So think about that. Who do you trust? Why do you trust that person? I guarantee you, you spend time with that individual. I guarantee you've eaten dinner with that person, spent money with that person, played sports if you're a golfer, played golf with that person, gone fishing. Kelly's in a sewing group. She sews with her friends. I mean, you spend time with that person. It's how you develop that relationship. If you're at a point in your life and you're having a difficult time trusting God, I would tell you to look at that relationship and how you're developing it. And it's fantastic if you just all alone in your relationship and you're spending that time with God. But I would tell you that it takes more than that. I would tell you that um, Tuesday nights is men discipleship. And I would tell you that Brian Lane and TJ Scoggins spoke. And I mean, once they were finished speaking, church was over. We should have just left and gone home and prayed. It was so powerful to see how God used those two guys and how he's changed his life. And TJ and the way he's had to trust God. It was just it was, it was amazing. But you know what? They both are involved in a group of men. They're not doing it alone. That's what a lot of us make the mistake in. If you're not in a group, and I'm not selling small groups, but I'm telling you, if you have a problem trusting God, I'd go find a small group. Um, teach us to trust God. I got two of them, so I might be a special needs person, but I got two of them that I have to have, not just one of them. So, I mean, I I need special spiritual help. I can promise you that. So this is what I wrote down. i got to put these back on. Um, If you're having a hard time, now where is it? All right. Take those relationship skills. I almost walked out of the screen. Justin was getting ready to yell at me. Um, Take those relationship skills with the person that you thought of and do the same with God. So whatever you did with that person you thought of, your best friend, your buddy, whoever that you trust, Do that with God, and you'll learn to trust the invisible, and he will become visible. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are a God that we can trust. You are a God that we can go to. Father, I pray for anybody in here that's struggling. I don't care what area it is, whether they have a Keelan, a Kyler, an an ARC issue, whatever it is, Heavenly Father, I pray that they would turn it over you. I pray not only would they turn to you and open up your word, but I pray that they'd also find a group that can help them learn to trust you the way that you want them to. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we get to come here, we get to talk about your word, and you put examples in the Bible for us so we can learn about you and how great you are. So Father, we thank you. I pray that we all, We'll look at our lives to make sure we're trusting God where you want us to be trusting God. We love you and we ask it all in your precious name.